Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound. And you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Your computer makes thousands of connections every day just like the one it's making now to deliver you your audio content. Why not unlock some little connections of your own? Pick up a box of Cadbury Heroes today, stay at home and share them with your family or friends. Sometimes it's the little things that bring us together. My name's Benjamin. Benjamin Button. And I was born under unusual circumstances. He looks just like my ex-husband. How old are you? Seven, but I look a lot older. God bless you. He's seven. <laughs> Benjamin, how is it when you showed up, you were no bigger than a bollard with one foot in the grave? Now, either I drink a hell of a lot more than I think I do, or you sprayed it. Most important story of the morning. If you drink red wine, if you eat nuts or peanut butter or grapes. Yes. You might be working off the years, literally. One of the most sought-after goals in the field of medicine, literally cheating death. There are certain aspects of aging which we are very, very opposed to and which we are spending lots and lots of money and effort and time trying to do something about. And those are the aspects of aging that we have chosen to call diseases. There are several options thrown in your face to slow down the aging process, whether it's a topical solution or right, plastic well, The anti-aging business is a multi-billion dollar gold mine. Women lured into buying hope in a bottle and men. Creams and injections. I think we have a 50% chance of getting to a point where with no way can we say that we have completely solved the problem of aging. But we will be able to give people maybe 30 additional years of healthy life. What's your secret? Well, Captain, you do drink a lot. <laughs> Hello and welcome to Science Ish. I'm Rick Edwards, joined as ever by Dr. Michael Brooks. Hello. As you know, in each episode, we take a work of fiction and then we ask one big old question about it. And this week, I'm going to have a crack at something pretty ambitious. Curing ageing. Now we're talking. So this week, we're going to be exploring the science of the curious case of Benjamin Button. Oh, really? What do you mean, oh, really? Well, I, I remember seeing that film when it came out. 2008, yeah. I remember people being very excited about 13 it. 13 Oscar nominations. I thought it was all right. I didn't think it was amazing. I didn't see it when it came out because I thought it wasn't really my cup of tea. And then I watched it ahead of recording this. Amazing. I have to say, I enjoyed it. So no Wikipedia plot summary for you no this need. week? No, and also, the plot is, you wouldn't even, as long as you know the premise of Benjamin <laughs> Button, which is based on a, a short story by 
F. Scott Fitzgerald, which is a guy who is born and has the sort of uh, physical characteristics of an old man. And then progressively, as he gets older, his body gets younger. That's it. You don't need to know any more detail than that. Obviously, as you can imagine, his love life is quite complicated as a consequence. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's the film. The good news for him is he eventually turned into Brad Pitt. So... Yeah, he turns into Brad Pitt, but then ultimately turns into like a very, very young Brad Pitt with dementia. <laughs> it's not perfect. I mean, it's not ideal. I a, but there is a sweet spot. Yeah, there's right. a sweet spot when he's and about. We're all looking for that sweet spot when he's about we? forty, and he's like, "I look forty, and I feel forty, but the rest of the time is, um, yeah, it's not ideal." Mom, some days I feel different than the day before. Everybody feels different about themselves one way or another. But we all going the same way. Hmm. You on your own road, Benjamin. But anyway, the big question is, could we reverse the ageing process? And have we got a big hitter in for this? Oh, just a bit. We've got, actually, the global Don, uh, the man who is developing a plan to cure ageing, Dr. Aubrey de Grey. Do you know him? Holy shit. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the guy with the beard. Yes. He's uh, Chief Science Officer at SENS, S-E-N-S, Research Foundation. I mean, it's his foundation, whose whole mission is to beat ageing. When I first started getting involved in the crusade to bring ageing under medical control, I had a remarkable revelation. People would make excuses for ageing. They would kind of say that it was some kind of blessing in disguise because the world would be a terrible place if we didn't have it. And people would really have hugely, you know, deep-seated convictions about this and be absolutely unwilling to even talk about it rationally. Eventually, I began to realise that there was only one thing in my past experience that resembled this bizarre behaviour, and that was a part of a stage hypnotist show that I saw when I was an undergraduate back in the early 1980s. So what happened in this show was that the hypnotist would get a guy on stage and put him into a really deep trance, and then the hypnotist would convince the guy of something that wasn't true. Um, The the belief was that his elbows were exchanged, so his left elbow was connected to his right shoulder and so on. And so then the hypnotist asked the guy to touch his right elbow with his left forefinger. And of course, he did a lot of wriggling and writhing and couldn't do it. And that was funny enough. But the real point of the um, whole thing was the next step, which was when the hypnotist asked the subject to explain why he couldn't do it. And the subject would give a completely unhesitating, lucid explanation for why he couldn't do it. And of course, the explanation would be completely ridiculous to the whole audience, but the subject would not, would not see it, you know, would be absolutely unable to understand what was wrong with the explanation. And so to me, the way that people defend aging is just like that. There are certain aspects of aging which we are very, very opposed to and which we are spending lots and lots of money and effort and time trying to do something about. Cancer cases will rise 
70% in the next 20 years. And those are the aspects of aging that we have chosen to call diseases. Things like Alzheimer's and most cancers and atherosclerosis and so on. Alzheimer's disease affects some 5 million Americans and over the next 30 years... But then we have this other category of aspects of the ill health of old age, which we don't call diseases, which we call aging itself. And the thing is, there is absolutely no biological distinction between the two things. The distinction is entirely semantic. So it makes no sense whatsoever. Come on then, Michael. Are you in a pro-aging trance? <laughs> I think I might be, actually. When I hear him put it like that, he's right. I mean, as somebody who's probably going to die from some heart-related condition you know, quite early on, I'm quite happy to kind of combat that. But seeing that as means to not dying... Yeah, I mean, it's like two sides of the same coin, isn't it? That's it's just kind not of his dying. point. It's a semantic yeah. Yeah. distinction. Yeah, really. Let's try not to die. Yeah, but but his his thing, I suppose, is not just looking at uh, sort of symptomatic. So your thing with your heart is let's try and make your heart better. As his thing would be, let's try and um, prevent that from happening in the first place. Yeah, by looking at the at the causes of aging. Yeah. And we're, and we're quite happy to put money into like dementia research or whatever. But if yeah. we said, you know, let's just put some money into not dying, not getting old, not not sort of feeling the effects, that's kind of different, isn't it? It's, it's sort of, we framed it. Wrong. It is, but do you know where a lot of money is going into it? <laughs> well, have a guess. Silicon Valley? Yes, <laughs> because those guys don't want to die. <laughs> <laughs> so why do we get old? So there's two sort of main hypotheses on this and they're pretty similar so one is and both of them are based on the idea that actually natural selection doesn't really work after you've reproduced it's a very weak sort of inefficient way of of selecting for something post-reproduction and aging pretty much all happens after you've reproduced you haven't yet reproduced and i can see some signs of aging there in general though i mean if you look at me versus you you can <laughs> see clear differences <laughs> so the first idea is this thing called mutation accumulation so if you have a in inverted commas bad or deleterious mutation that only manifests itself in later life carriers will already have passed on that negative mutation to the next generation because effectively, natural selection can't see it because yeah. it hasn't been expressed. And so therefore, these mutations will accumulate and you have this kind of evolution of ageing effects. And you'll only really see those symptoms expressed if there is a change in the conditions around the population anyway. So that's one idea. Um, and then the other one is very similar, and it's that you might have mutations which are pleiotropics that are affecting two different things. And in early life, they're beneficial and they actually like increase fitness, so increase the likelihood of you reproducing and your, and your uh, genes carrying on. But then bad in later life. So they have a, a negative effect in, in later life. And so then natural selection pressures are strong in your early life and are actually selecting for these people mm. um, with, with this mutation. But then in later life, the negative effect, natural selection is then weak and can do nothing about it. So again, you get this accumulation of a mutation that is bad for you in later life. So you have to kind of weigh it up and say, you know, okay, I'm going to mate with this person, yeah. even though you can see the nightmares sort of down the generation, yes. but they look good when they're in their 20s. Uh, and that one is called antagonistic pleiotropy. 
Nice. So what yeah. we're talking about really is decline of all the sort of biological functions the longer you go on. Yeah, and also the fact that, you know, from an evolutionary point of view, you are more likely to invest all your energies, etc., into reproduction and your general, like, fitness. Yeah. And less into sort of maintenance and repair in later life. When was the last time you had a woman? Never. Never. Not that I know of, sir. Thank Jesus, you are coming with me. So it's one thing sort of saying that evolution doesn't care about you when you get old, but actually evolution in some cases has allowed things to effectively be immortal, hasn't it? Well, kind of. So there's this thing that we call the immortal jellyfish. (laughs) (laughs) I'm guessing you're going to tell me now it's not actually immortal. Well, not only is it not actually immortal, it's also not a jellyfish. (laughs) Apart from that... (laughs) It's a great name. Um, also called the Benjamin Button jellyfish. Not bad. So it's it's not a jellyfish, but it does. It, it's a hydrozoan that kind of looks, it either looks a bit like a jellyfish or a bit like a coral, depending on which stage of its life it's at. And the thing apparently just won't die. So at any stage of its development, it can just revert back to being the, uh, a polyp, which is like the earliest stage of its life, and then start again. Nice. To and have another have another life cycle, and then go back to being a polyp again, and then just doing that. I am again so up for and that. again and again. I want to go back to about eighteen, though. I don't know. You get a choice uh. on this. I'm afraid. But yeah, these are very very simple little beings. Simple to the point that they only have one orifice, so they they effectively eat through their own anus. <laughs> so you know, it's real. You know, <laughs> there's pros right, and so, cons. So that's all well and good, but. Humans presumably can't achieve this no matter how much they want to eat through their own anus. Eating through their own anus is not a sort of like precondition of immortality. Oh, it's not. Uh, oh, sorry. No, that just happens. To I be thought a that was the price you paid for not aging. <laughs> no, I don't think so. Like, I don't think that's what Doctor De Grey is after. <laughs> saying, look, I'm happy to live forever. There is going to be a few little caveats. <laughs> is there an upper limit for humans? I think a lot of scientists would say yes. So we've been getting progressively older, but that rate of progression is decreasing. It looks like there's a plateau about 115. But I guess the the argument would be that that's just with current and past medicine and treatments. So we're reaching a plateau with what we currently have. And once, once you've dealt with like dirt and viruses and bacteria and all that kind of stuff... Then you take away all those external things. There's still like internal mechanisms that mean you can't keep going. Forever. Right. Well, yes and no, because there have been lots of experiments done on other species, simpler species, so, you know, worms and mice and flies, where it is possible to extend their maximum lifespan. So if it wasn't possible to extend our maximum lifespan, that would imply that we are somehow unique and different to every other species that we've we've looked at. And we and know that that's not actually true. feels unlikely, doesn't yeah. it? Like why would that be the case? So then it becomes a question of how you actually achieve that lifespan extension. We can divide the process of aging into kind of two component processes. There's a process that goes on throughout the existence of the machine, so in the case of living organisms of you and me, starting even before we're born. That process is the creation of damage. The, the fact that our metabolism, our normal 
bodily operations generate this damage. And then the second component process starts late in life when the damage reaches a level of abundance that is excessive, that is over what the body is set up to tolerate. And that's where the damage translates into pathology of old age. So then, why is that useful? Well, the main reason it's useful is that it allows us to pinpoint strategies for doing something about this. The goal is effectively to unlink metabolism from pathology so that we can carry on being alive without becoming dead. And there are clearly two options. One option is to go in and break the link between metabolism and damage, effectively to stop it from making damage in the first place, or at least to stop it from making it as rapidly as it normally does. And the other option is to break the other process, the other component. In other words, to make the body more robust so that the damage can accumulate, but it does not translate into pathology. Now, both of those approaches have been pursued historically for a long, long time, century or more, and they haven't succeeded. But what people had overlooked until I came along, nearly 20 years ago now, is that there's a third option which is actually the option that we already use successfully to keep simple man-made machines going way beyond the time that they were designed to live. And that is not to actually interfere with either of those two component processes, but rather to separate them from each other. Namely, to go in and periodically repair some of the damage that the body is creating, so that even though the damage is still being generated at the normal rate, nevertheless it doesn't actually ever get to a level of abundance that is pathogenic. Now, that approach really, if you think about it, is common sense. Furthermore, it's vastly more feasible than the other two because even though metabolism is ridiculously complicated, and of course the pathologies of old age are also ridiculously many and varied, the damage that links the two together is a lot less complicated. It's still complicated, more complicated than it is for a simple man-made machine, but it's a hell of a lot less complicated than either its causes or its consequences. Hang on. You're not convinced, are you? I'm really not convinced that it's easier to do this third way of like repairing all the damage than to stop the damage happening in the first place? Theoretically, yes, I think it is. Because he's saying that your, your metabolism, like all the processes that keep us alive, that ultimately lead to pathology, both of those things are unbelievably complex. And we don't really have a handle on them. However... Aubrey thinks that he's isolated the damage, the things that are ultimately causing the the pathology, into just seven categories. Okay. Um, And if you just tick those off, you'll be fine. And actually, when you put it like that, you think, yeah, I reckon we could probably have a crack. I was just going to say, yeah, should we, you know, take a couple of It does seem more manageable. Yeah. So an example of this is researchers have taken some mice and activated uh, these and these four genes that have been uh, isolated which seem to effectively convert adult cells back to their kind of embryonic state and so you turn these on a middle-aged mouse you'll be able to rejuvenate its muscles like its pancreas and increase its lifespan by like 30 percent if you're talking about sort of reversing cell processes and stuff can't you just use stem cells yes maybe so there's a specific type of stem cell uh, MSC 
that you can get from an adult donor, like between sort of 20 and, and 45 year old, from their bone marrow. And then you get frail patients and you give them an infusion of these stem cells. And six months later, you will see what the researchers said were remarkable physical improvements. So increased fitness, increased quality of life. The thing is, this was done on very small experimental groups. So until you've done much bigger studies, you can't draw massive conclusions. So I could take bone marrow from my children, say, and inject that and and have a bit of that. That would help. Anything else I can do? Yeah. Can I interest you in a faecal transplant? (laughs) (laughs) This is by far my favourite. So... This is about the fact that there are clear differences between the gut bacteria in uh, young organisms and older organisms. So the variety of gut bacteria, your, your gut microbiome, diminishes with age. Really, no one has any idea of the mechanism here. Right. <laughs> Everyone's just like, something's happening. So they've done experiments with uh, turquoise killfish because they have very short lifespans. So you get some 10-week-old or like nine-and-a-half-week-old fish and you stick them in a tank with the feces of five-week-old fish. <laughs> and then uh, they don't exactly eat the feces, but enough of it's got going into their mouths yeah. <laughs> that their gut flora is repopulated yeah. by this younger faecal matter. And then when you look at them at 16 weeks old, they behave and their activity levels are similar to that of a, of a six-week-old and they live 37% longer than a control group. So does that mean people in Silicon Valley are doing faecal transplants? I don't think they're doing faecal transplants. I suspect that there is a bit, and this is this feels so old school, but nevertheless it's true. I think there's probably a bit of young blood injection going on in Silicon Valley because th- there have been successful trials with with mice and now humans where you, you just put plasma, so you take the red blood cells out and you just have the plasma, inject that. In, in humans, it's inject. In mice, it's, it's again, I mean, this is so grisly. And you think, I don't know if I can quite get on board with this. But they do a thing called parabiosis, where you get a young mouse and an old mouse, and then you stitch them together. Oh. So they share a oh. circulatory system. With their permission, of course. Yeah, broadly speaking, I think they just sign a waiver when they first <laughs> arrive. And, and yeah, you see significant improvements in the the old mice and the young mice the young mice weirdly the literature doesn't say much about them oh what a surprise (laughs) they're probably not having i mean honestly if the situation is i can i can live to 150 if i'm stitched to a teenager (laughs) (laughs) fuck it (laughs) i'll die at 80 (laughs) what a nightmare that is (laughs) things were becoming different for me my hair had very little gray and grew like weeds my sense of smell was keener, my hearing more acute. While everybody else was aging, I was getting younger, all alone. All right, so I just want a pill. I mean, can we not just reduce all of this to an anti-aging pill? I mean, maybe. I still think that it's going to end up being a lot of different things that you need to do in order to combat aging, rather than just one kind of silver bullet. But some scientists in New South Wales have been treating, again, (laughs) a a, a sort of a booster that promotes the metabolite, which is called NAD+. I don't know what that stands for, but it's a metabolite that is in every cell of our body, and it's involved with regulating DNA repair. 
So our, our bodies are always repairing DNA. That's the thing that just happens. Like every time you go out in the sun or whatever, that the body has to then repair your DNA. This metabolite is 100% involved with that. And if you boost that, it seems that the cells of old mice after this treatment were indistinguishable from the cells of young mice after just one week of treatment. This lot are pretty pumped about that. I want some of that. Yeah, and it's called NMN therapy. And I think they're doing human trials now. Where do I sign? I don't know. I guess you go to New South Wales and then get on with it. Oh, I'm going next. But they, 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 they honestly think that they might have a safe anti-aging drug within sort of five years. And that's just you know, that's, that's just using brilliant. this one metabolite. I'm in. Up for it? Yep, definitely. Good. We are living longer. Since 1990, we have added six years to our life expectancy, bringing us Average up to life expectancy is forecast to rise in many countries by the year 2030. The time frame any pioneering technology is, of course, very, very speculative. And for sure, this is pioneering technology. But I think we have a 50% chance of getting to what I'm going to call a decisive level of comprehensiveness of these damage repair therapies within the next 20 years or so. Now, that point is the point that I have called robust human rejuvenation, which means a point where no way can we say that we have completely solved the problem of aging, but we will be able to give people maybe 30 additional years of healthy life. And that will, it turns out, be equivalent to having completely solved the problem of aging because it will be 30 years that are given to people who are already in middle age or older when the therapies arrive. And it will genuinely rejuvenate those people so that they won't be, let's say they're 60, they won't be biologically 60 again until they're chronologically 90. And in the meantime, they'll be biologically less than 60. We end tonight with the words of wisdom from an ageless spirit. She was born nearly 100 years ago in 1918. Pride of place, a birthday card from the Queen for Norwich royalty. The amazing Eileen Ash, who's now 105. Maryam Amesh claims to be a record-breaking 120 years old. What it means is that we will be able to spend those 30 years improving the quality of the therapies, making them that much more comprehensive, so that when these 90-year-olds who are biologically 60 come back, the original therapies won't work anymore, but the version 2, so to speak, that will have resulted from the 30 years of additional research, that will indeed be better and will be able to re-rejuvenate the same people so that they won't be biologically 60 for the third time until they're 150 or so. But that's why it's equivalent to having completely solved the problem even though we haven't actually completely solved it. I go, going for my se- second century, I think. Probably 200, you reckon? If you're saying we should not defeat ageing, then fundamentally what you're saying is that medicine for the elderly is a bad idea. Or at least that medicine for the elderly is only a good idea so long as it doesn't work very well, as in the situation today. Now, I have pointed this out rather a lot to people who are defending ageing, that what they're saying is that. And nobody is willing to admit that that's what they're saying. So unless one has the guts to actually defend the position that medicine for the elderly that actually worked would be a bad thing, then one should shut the fuck up, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> wow! Say what you really think, Aubrey. He's very passionate about it. Yeah, I like that. I think, and I, like I think it. he's got a good point. My only problem is, you know, and I'm totally up for this because I, I'm not really into the idea of dying. I'm just mm. wondering how I fill the extra thirty years. I mean, I'm already getting a bit bored. What do we do? Uh, I don't know. Just read, travel. Yeah, you need money. 
But do you buy his idea of there being a, a kind of longevity escape velocity, which is effectively when you can stay ahead? So if, if you're 80 or like 100 now, yeah. you're screwed. But if you're 50, you might be okay. You might be able to sort of pull out of the dive because he'll be able to give you a treatment, a sort of little tune-up that will buy you an extra 30 years. Yeah. And then in that 30 years, the technology will have uh, moved on yeah. enough that then you can have another tune-up that then buys you another... I totally buy that. 50 years. Yeah. And therefore, effectively, you're renewing at a pace faster than you're aging. Yeah. And then you're golden. I totally buy that. And actually, I mean, you know, we laugh a lot about the Silicon Valley entrepreneurs and how ridiculous they are. But this is the kind of thing that if somebody cracks it, it's going to trickle down to everybody, isn't it? It's just going to become part of normal healthcare. A bit like, you know, when we discovered, you know, bacteria, viruses, whatever, you know, we discovered the point of sanitation and everything else. Mm. You know, it, it, it wasn't an elitist thing. It might initially have been like, oh, you know, I'm going to make sure I get my my sanitation system sorted. But now we have universal sanitation. And if these people actually do find something that buys 30 years, yeah, it may not immediately get to the rest of the population. But in, in 30 years time, it will just be the norm in medicine to do this kind of thing. And I think that's really good. So it's sort of elitist at the moment, but I don't think it will be. Do you know what I think it, it could be good for is increasing health span. So increasing the duration of your healthy life. Yeah. I think increasing lifespan, I'm just not sure about. I don't know what the I don't know what the point of it is. I think it throws up all sorts of ethical questions, economic questions. And so like Aubrey thinks there is a person alive today who will live to be a thousand. Wow. And I just kind of think, well, why? And 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 I think it creates more problems than it solves. Whereas if you can come up with stuff where you can say, look, you can live to a good age, 90, and for all of those 90 years, you will be healthy. Great. That feels like a really but, positive But thing. his point is, if you're healthy, there's no reason why you're going to die unless somebody suddenly you know, says, right, it's your time for euthanasia now. Yeah. Well, I'd be fine with that. Would you, though? I bet you wouldn't be like that on your 89th birthday, would you? You'd be the one saying, oh, really? Give, give me another... Th- Two years, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's it. You just start buying oh, yeah, the back yeah. market another couple of Here years. Yeah, Grandpa, I've got a voucher for you. You've got another two years. Yeah, I've got your group on. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, this is his point, isn't it? Is that actually, if you can have health and keep your health, mm. then you are effectively living forever. That, that, that's the kind of point that he's making. So, mm. so then you have to ask about population issues. Yeah, uh, I mean, we already have problems with the aging population in terms of you know, economy and everything else. As we know, though. Pensions is going to be a nightmare. Pensions is going to be a nightmare. Fertility rates are going down. Yes. So that might help us out slightly. Oh, true. Lots mm. of 70-year-old dads and that kind of thing. Yeah. Sort of rolling yeah, if stones. You're, presumably your reproductive lifespan is going to be massively increased as well. Yeah. And you can have loads of, uh, quote-unquote, reproductive events as well. <laughs> so you could have lots of generations of kids. <laughs> It's basically midlife crisis is going to last until you're about 80. Yeah. I have to say that if you went back 200 years when we had half the lifespan we do now and said, you know, I think we can double our lifespan through science, people probably would have said, don't be ridiculous. You know, the, these are the years that we're allotted, you know, it's like you, know, yeah, you should be but... happy with what you've got. And I think that maybe the same thing applies now is that people should actually be much more positive about it. Quite different though, because 200 years ago when people were living to... 40 they didn't like like i say aging wasn't really an issue you were dying of other stuff yeah 
much earlier. But people still probably would have said. But we okay, haven't tackled. Like, I'd like to take the, that on. The, the increase in 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 life expectancy is not due to us tackling aging. No, it's it's due. It's, it's but it is due to us extrinsic tackling disease, like environmental stuff, really. Well, it's just disease, isn't it? We're living longer, basically, because we've we've learned yeah. how to engineer ourselves a more conducive environment for yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've changed our environment, and in effectively, such a way. we're just now taking that in on ourselves and saying, okay, what's going on in this in interior environment that's causing the problems? Yeah, yeah. So I don't see it as that different. And mm. although I say I'd be bored, I wouldn't. I definitely would take this on. Yeah, you'd 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 fill your time, alright. Yeah, I'd find a way. Don't worry about me. I like growing younger. Could we reverse aging? It's a big maybe, isn't it? It is a big maybe. I think there's enough there's enough stuff going on in, in slightly different areas that suggests we will be able to. I don't know to what extent. Um, whether it's ingesting young feces or getting <laughs> young blood transfusions or Basically, taking a <laughs> taking a pill. We're gonna be parasites on the young. Yeah. It's so vampiric, isn't it? Yeah, I'm up for that. I don't mind that. They've got nothing else to do, have they? What, the young? Yeah. No, absolutely not. Science-ish is a Radio Wolfgang production presented by me, Rick Edwards, and Dr. Michael Brooks. The producers were Cormac McAuliffe and L. Scott. Sound designed by Ivor Slayer-Manley. Special thanks to Dr. Aubrey de Grey. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate and review wherever you listen to your podcasts. It does really help. Thank you. And you can get hold of us on Twitter at science underscore ish. I can see a whole new direction for 1830 holidays. It's just like, get the 18-year-olds, get the 30-year-olds, and then, um, you know. And what? Do fecal transplants? Fecal transplants. I don't think that's the... Or no, just no, in the no, pool. No, 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 no. no. You, what you want to be doing there is setting up a business where you go to 1830 holidays and you say, look, we'll give you a certain amount of money if you just donate some of your feces. <laughs> and then we take it off and we sell it to old people to can you eat. imagine, yes. So you kind of do a cross-fertilisation between Saga and 1830. Yeah, yeah, that's it. A friend is someone that can still help you even when they can't be there in person. Like with a friendly new Bank of Ireland third-level current account. 
With it, you get a debit card that's biosourced and actually made from 82% corn. How cool is that? And you can also partner it up with your phone to use Apple Pay to buy things, even if you don't have your card on you. You can apply for your friendly new third-level current account in just six minutes at bankofireland.com forward slash student. Terms and conditions apply. Bank of Ireland is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland.